Well, good morning again, and welcome to worship. But now, not only to those of you who are here in our traditional sanctuary, but welcome also, especially right now, to those of you who are joining us in our contemporary service, or online, or via broadcast. I'm really glad you're here, and glad we can all be here together, if not in the same room, learning and growing together from God's Word as we learn about how God creates freedom in us today. If you have a Bible with you, or you have a Bible on your phone, or your tablet, your Feel free, that's great. We also have some Bibles that our ushers are bringing up in both of our worship services. If you'd like to borrow one during this time, please feel free to do that. You can just put it on the shelf in the back of either room after our worship service today. Now, some of you will notice that I have my series mascot here with me again today, this bag of golf clubs right here. There are some among you who are fairly astute. This has been here for the last two weeks, and I've used it both the last two weeks, and you notice that I'm right-handed and these clubs are not. <laughs> these are not my golf clubs. These are Jeff Montgomery's clubs. I'm not 100% sure that I'd play worse with left-handed clubs than right-handed clubs, uh, but these are not mine. Jeff walks the fairways almost as well as he runs our church operations here, and these are Jeff's clubs. Thank you, Jeff, for letting me borrow them and for letting much of the church salivate over them for the last couple of weeks. I have this set of golf clubs out here. It reminds us that a golfer selects a, a different club, a different tool, if you will, depending on the situation, depending on where he or she finds the ball and where on the course it needs to go. Depending on how the ball lies, we'll choose a different club to move that ball up the course. In the same way, I think we need to be reminded that God uses the power of the cross of Jesus Christ in a whole variety of different ways in our lives, in different of our lives, sometimes at different times in the same life, depending on where God finds us. God meets us right where we are and loves us too much to leave us there, and so moves us up the course. But sometimes that takes different things. And many of us struggle with having a one club understanding of God's work in our lives, when in fact God works by the power of the cross of Jesus in so many different ways to solve many different situations in our lives, to meet us where he finds us, and to move us up the course. In the last couple weeks, we've talked about a few of these movements. We've talked about how God finds us in a place of guilt, and moves us to forgiveness. And we learn to say that because he died, we are forgiven. In fact, could you say we are forgiven when I say because he died? Let's, let's remember how to practice that, that club. Because he died, we are forgiven. That's the truth about us. That's God's word over us, even when we don't feel like it. We are forgiven because of the death of Jesus. We also learn how God meets us in our shame, which is different than our guilt. God meets us in that place where we feel like, or we have learned, or we have been told that we are not enough and we do not belong. And there is something deeply flawed and broken, not just in what we do, but in who we are. And it's this deep sense of wrong inside our core and our identity. And God meets us there right where we are and he moves us to a place of belonging and a place of new identity in him. And we learn to say that because he died, we are children of God. Could you say that with me today? Because he died, we are children of God. That is your identity in Christ more than anything else is. And there are lots of things that compete for our identity. But we learn that by the cross of Christ, Jesus claims us into the family of God. Today we're going to learn about how God finds us in a place of bondage, in a place of being bound up or enslaved, and God moves us to a place of freedom. Now, most of us really like freedom. We really like to be free. We live here in a country where freedom is a high ideal. We like and are proud to and hopefully grateful to live in a free country. 
I find that one of the things we like almost as much as living in a free country is talking about living in a free country. We're very proud of this. We love that we live in a free country. Not only do we enjoy the political freedoms of this place where we live, but we really love our personal freedom. We like to do just about what we want, when we want, how we want, with whom we want. And we don't like to be controlled. We don't like people to tell us when we can do something or that we can't. You know, we talked with our kids up here just a minute ago about who's the boss of us. And when you're a parent and you've told your child not to or to do something, they don't like that impingement on their freedoms, do they? Very much. When we are adults, we don't always change all that much. We really like to be free, by which we understand in control of ourselves. We like freedom so much that one time when another country, when, the Fr when we got mad at the French as a country, we decided to stop calling French fries French fries, and we called them what? Freedom fries, right? We took America's favorite food, food and paired it with America's favorite concept <laughs> and began to eat freedom fries, at least for a little while. Now we eat French fries again. We're big fans of freedom. But we struggle with freedom. We struggle with freedom. It's hard for us, honestly. Oftentimes, we use our freedom in ways that cause burdens to other people. You know, if I, as a husband, decide that I'm going to, I want to now spend my time how I want, when I want, with whom I want, doing what I want, as much as I want, there are some people in my life who are going to begin to feel burdened by that, right? There are ways that we use our freedom sometimes, whether it's that or something else, that can really cause burdens for other people. Those of you who know that my wife is in the choir will not be surprised to know I hear whispering behind me right now. <laughs> Sometimes we exercise our freedom in ways that causes a burden or slavery in our own life. In our culture, thanks to the miracle of credit, we can usually buy just about what we want when we want at the, at, well, not usually the price we want, but what we want when we want, whether we have the money for it or not. But when we do, don't we often wind up in a kind of bondage later? We wind up in a debt prison. Historically, people used to throw, sometimes people would be thrown into prison, into debtor's prisons, if they owed money to somebody powerful that they couldn't repay. Nowadays, we don't have debtor's prisons anymore. We just imprison ourselves in debt. And we wind up really bound up. Sometimes we exercise our freedom in all kinds of different ways, in ways that really create slavery for ourselves. And really the truth, I think, is that not a lot of us really feel all that free all the time. It's not all that often that we wake up with a light heart and a bounce in our step and a feeling of freedom, that I'm free from the expectations of other people because oftentimes we are not. We are, we are bound up by other people's expectations for us or we are bound up by our own fears or we are bound up by choices that we've made in the past. Maybe we're bound up by shame that we experienced, we talked about last week and it creates an identity for us that's heavy and we walk under a burden. I mean, we like freedom. We like freedom a lot, but we struggle with freedom. And yet, the Bible is a book with freedom deep in its bones. And the God whom we worship is a God who sets people free. And when Jesus launched his public ministry, he said, among other things, that he came to set the captives free. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are free people. We are people of freedom. And yet, we struggle with freedom. And I think one of the reasons that we don't experience and don't use our freedom as well as God intends for us is because we've kind of lost touch with our story. We've lost touch with the foundational biblical story of the freedom of God's people to which the death of Christ connects us. And it's a story from the scriptures that Jewish people tend to remember better and know better than most Christian people. 
It's a story that's attached to the Passover. It's the story of the Exodus. Every year, around this time of year, in the spring of the year, at Passover, Jewish people will gather together with their immediate families and when possible with extended families and large groups, and they'll gather together to celebrate a Passover meal. And traditionally, a child at the table will ask, what makes this night? Why is this night different from all other nights? And then from that moment forward, the whole rest of the meal, all the foods, all the games, and yes, there are games at dinner, all the customs are designed to answer that question with a story, with an ancient story, a story that's 3,500 to 4,000 years old. It's a story of slavery and freedom. It's a story of ancient Israelites who lived over 3,000 years ago, who once upon a time were enslaved, physically, literally, racially, ethnically enslaved to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And in their slavery, they labored for the king of Egypt to make bricks for the Pharaoh's building. As in our country, once upon a time, a race of people was enslaved to pick cotton, among other tasks. The Israelites were enslaved to make bricks, among other tasks, for the economy of larger Egypt. And they cried out in their suffering because they made bricks during the hot summer. They made bricks under the hot Egyptian sun. They made bricks in the hot Egyptian desert. And they cried out to God. If you've ever read any of the prayers or the Psalms in the Bible, you'll know that a number of them begin with, how long, O Lord, must I endure this? How long? I can imagine the Israelites in Egypt. How long is this going to go on? How long will you turn your ear from my cry? How long will you leave us here? But God was not deaf to their cry. God did indeed hear the cry of the Israelite slaves in Egypt. And he called a leader. He called someone who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt in freedom, and his name was Moses. And one of the first things that God said to Moses was, I have heard the cry of my people. A lot of us need to know that God hears the cry of his oppressed people. And God heard the cry of his people. And he said, Moses, you're going to go in and you're going to lead my people, my Israelites, my Hebrews, out of Egypt, out into freedom, out of slavery. And Moses goes, no, not me. <laughs> I think you must have the wrong guy. Moses had a lot of excuses. A lot of us have a lot of excuses when God calls us somewhere. But God was not so interested in Moses' excuses. He was interested in what he would do through Moses. And God sent Moses to the Pharaoh, to the king of Egypt, which was an awkward relationship for Moses because Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's household. And Moses had to go to Pharaoh and say on God's behalf, let my people go. Now you gotta know that when Moses came to Pharaoh and demanded the freedom of the Israelites, I think a lot of us get mixed up on the conflict that was happening there. We think that God sent a word through a prophet, through a spokesman like Moses to another human being who happened to be ruling over a country. And at one level, that's, that's true. But that's not what the Pharaoh thought was going on. That's not what the king of Egypt thought. The king of Egypt understood himself to be, as all Egyptians understood him to be, also God. He was God as a man sitting on the throne ruling over Egypt. He was a pretty powerful God in his own eyes. And so now he hears this Moses guy saying that the desert God of this enslaved Israelite people wants me to let the people who build, my bricks, make, build bricks for my building go? No, I don't think so. I think I like my slaves. I think I like my buildings. Why don't you tell your little desert God to go back out where he came from and I'm going to stay just how I am? And God sent a series of plagues, a series of horrible plagues on Egypt. It was a contest between the living God and a false God 
who sat on the throne of Egypt. And God sent a series of plagues on Egypt until finally the false god king of Egypt said, uncle, until he relented and finally said, get out, leave my country. I don't want anything more to do with you. Your bricks are not worth it. And the Israelites were led by Moses out of slavery in Egypt, out into freedom. God led them out of Egypt. He led them across the waters of the sea. He led them across the wilderness, through the wilderness, out to the promised land. In the wilderness, God gave them commandments, most famously 10 commandments, but a bunch more also, to guide their freedom. And he led them by his spirit. God led them step by step through the desert. The Bible says God's presence was with them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when he moved forward, the Israelites walked forward. And when the pillar of cloud or fire stayed still, they stayed still. And sometimes they went around in circles. And sometimes it was one step forward and five steps back. But they kept in step with the Spirit of God as God led them through the wilderness toward the promised land. But on the night before they left, on the very last night, they celebrated a meal together. And it was the very, very first Passover. And then every year after that, the Jewish people have been commanded to keep the Passover, to celebrate that meal again using many of the same foods, and to tell the story of God's salvation, to tell the story of God's liberation, to tell the story of God setting them free from the house of bondage, from the house of slavery in Egypt. And here we are thousands of years later, and there are Jewish people who sit down to Passover in the spring of the year, every year, and they tell this story. And they remember that it is not just a story that happened three and 4,000 years ago, but it is their story. And they are regrounded in the story of freedom, in the story of liberation, and in the hope of God. And sometime after that Passover, that very first Passover happened, 1,000, 1,500 years later, almost 2,000 years later, God sent his Savior into the world again. God sent Jesus into the world this time. And Jesus made it known to all the world that he would set them free. And he made it so that this story would be the story not just for one group of people, not just for Israel, but for all people. And in the New Testament of the Bible, we learn that this story, because of Jesus, is our story. That we worship the God who sets the oppressed free. That we worship the God of freedom and that he sets us free. But we learn that the story goes deeper than we ever knew before. We learn that the real power of enslavement, the real power behind the throne is not some guy named Pharaoh or anybody else who does what Pharaoh does. He's a symptom of the real power behind the throne. The real enslaving power of this world is sin. And not just sins with a little less on the end and a little less on the beginning. The wrong choices, the bad behaviors, the things that you and I do, those are symptoms of the same enslaving power. Sin with a capital S, sin in the singular with a big S, a dark power that seeks to enslave, but not just ancient Israel, all humanity, that seeks to diminish life and wreck the life that God means for his people. And so those who are enslaved are not just ancient Israelites, but all human beings. All of creation is subject to the power of sin. It's a universal condition. And the way that we are set free is not to be moved from Pharaoh's country to another country. It's not to move from one land or one place to another, but rather to move from one life to another, which is not something we can really do for ourselves. We can oftentimes move from one place to another, maybe from one country to another, but to move from one life to another takes the work of God.
And the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that we are moved from one life to another when by a spiritual miracle we are joined to the death of Jesus. And in a spiritually miraculous sort of way, an old life is put to death. An old thing ends and a new life is raised up again. This is how the Bible says that. If you want to read this with me, I welcome you to. If you have a Bible with you, you might want to mark this passage. It's Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. If you have one of our Quest Bibles, this is on page 1651, if that makes it easier to find. This is the Apostle Paul, deeply steeped in the story of Passover and the story of the Scriptures, and a follower of Jesus Christ, who understands how this story of freedom becomes our story as followers of Jesus. This is what it says in Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him, that's Jesus, if we have been united with him in a death like his, and Paul has just finished saying that's what happens when followers of Jesus are baptized into Jesus. In a spiritual miracle, God joins us to the death of Jesus and puts an old thing to death and raises up a new thing. If we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. But then he starts talking about it in a way that doesn't just mean way out then in the future. But that resurrection has power for our lives now. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, the body enslaved to sin, mastered by sin, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is the movement of the new Exodus God in Jesus Christ for us. And the form that the slave master, capital S, sin, takes in our lives can be a whole variety of things. Sometimes sin has worked its enslaving power in our world in actual, literal, literal, physical, maybe ethnic slavery. Certainly it happened for the Israelites in Egypt long ago. It's happened all throughout history to all kinds of different people groups. It's happened in the history of our own country. There's modern-day slavery and international slave trade still going on today. And followers of Jesus Christ have very often been at the front of abolitionist movements. And it's because we worship a God of freedom. It's because when Jesus launched his public ministry, he said he came to set the captives free. It was certainly true in England when when William Wilberforce helped stop the slave trade, dedicated his life to stopping the slave trade in England. It was true in our own country, though certainly there were many churches and many Christian preachers and Bible readers who found ways to support the practice of slavery from the Bible. Yet nevertheless, it was Bible-reading, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, Spirit-led Christians who were leading the abolition movement here in our own country. It's still true today where there are active, sacrificial, risk-taking Christian ministries working to free people from slavery modern day. Sometimes sin takes the form of actual, physical, literal slavery. Sometimes it takes the form of things that we recognize as addictions. We are enslaved to different kinds of substances and physical addictions, and God can set us free from those things. And those of you who have experienced that, you have a testimony to tell, you know that it can be a long walk. It can be like walking from Egypt to the promised land in the desert, one step at a time, sometimes circular paths, but God can set us free from the power of sin. Sometimes it's patterns of sin that we don't recognize as addictions, but that function similarly in our lives. We find ourselves enslaved to, addicted to greed, and it just wrecks our lives. We find ourselves addicted to, enslaved to lust, and it wrecks our relationships. We find ourselves addicted to or enslaved to anger, unforgiveness, arrogance, bitterness, 
It just wrecks us, wrecks the community that we share life in. Capital S, sin takes a lot of forms in our lives. Sometimes we're enslaved to the expectations of other people, right? We worry so much about how we look and how we keep our house and what we drive and what we earn and what our titles are, what somebody else's opinion of us is, how we dress, how we dress our kids. And these things ascend to the level of identity for us, and we think that we become those things, and they enslave us. That's the kind of shame and wrong-headed identity we talked about last week. But God came in Jesus Christ to set us free from these things. This might have been our old life. It might have been our past. But it is certainly not our future, and it does not have to be our present. God came to set us free, to take these old things and to put to death the body that was once enslaved to sin and to raise us up to a new life that we might no longer be enslaved, but be free to live the lives that God intends for us. And I think that we don't always experience that freedom because there are traps that are laid for us. I sometimes like to talk about two ditches on both sides of the road that people are likely to fall into. But I was thinking the day, what if those weren't ditches? What if those were sand traps on both sides of the fairway that God is inviting us to walk down? So I think there's two different traps we fall into. One we miss out and one we mess up our freedom. I think there's a trap maybe over on this side where we miss out on our freedom that God gives us. I call this the defeatist trap over here. This is the trap where we know that we have been forgiven for our sins, but we do not believe that we have been freed from them. And so we do not fight against sin. We do not struggle against it. We do not strive for growth in holiness or obedience to Christ or Christ-likeness. We do not strive to grow in discipleship to Jesus because we said yes to Jesus at some point in our life, maybe for the very first time, and we received his grace, but then we stopped saying yes to Jesus as he invited us to take further and further steps to follow him. This is the defeatist trap when we do not know that God has set us free from the power of sin. But over here on this side, there's another trap. I like to call this the triumphalist trap. If over here we miss out on freedom, over here we mess up our freedom. This is the one where we think, oh, sin's not all that serious anymore. I can just take one big leaping bound over here from where God found me, and I'll land up on the green on the promised land. We don't think that sin is very strong. We don't take it very seriously. We think that we're all done with that now. But sin is still at work in the world. It's still looking for us. It misses its slaves, and it wants us back. And we take it too lightly. Then we come to find out at some point that there is still sin in our lives. We come to find out that we're not always telling the truth, that we're not always honoring others, that we don't love God with our whole heart and love our neighbors as ourselves, and it threatens our very identity. Maybe we're not real Christians if there's still sin in our lives. We can't talk about it honestly. We can't deal with it because we don't take it seriously enough. Or we see sin in somebody else's life and we get all judgmental. Well, they're not welcome here. They must not be real Christians because they're struggling with that sin in their life. And that's especially easy for us when it's a different sin than the one we struggle with. Well, that's a real sin over there. This is the triumphalist trap over here. But God's got a sand wedge to free us from both of these things, and it's the power of the cross. By the power of the cross, God can get us out of both traps that we fall into and put us back on the fairway. And he invites us to take some steps with him forward. You know, I think it's really no coincidence that most of the Bible's key teachings about freedom 
express that teaching in terms of walking. You know, back in the Exodus story, well, how did the Israelites get from Egypt to the promised land? They walked one step in front of the next, keeping in step with the Spirit of God who was in front of them. It wasn't always a direct route. It got pretty indirect. It took a long time. It took some of them all of their lives. It took a lot of them more than all of their lives. One step at a time out of slavery toward the promised land, following the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on freedom. In one place it says, let us walk with the Spirit so that we don't indulge sin in our lives. In another place it says, let's keep in step with the Spirit of God. And in the passage that I just read to you from Romans chapter 6, there's a verse a little bit earlier in there where Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, since we're, we're sharing in Christ's resurrection, let's walk in the newness of life. Some translation says, let's live in the newness of life, but that's an under-translation. The word there really says, let's walk around in the newness of life of life. God invites us to walk in freedom, one step and another step and another step. Let me ask you a couple of questions here to try to make real practical how it is that we walk in the freedom to which God invites each of us. And let me just ask you to reflect for a moment. What form does the slave master's sin take in your life right now? How is the spiritually dark, evil power of sin trying to enslave you? Maybe it's through some form of addiction. Maybe it's through some pattern of sin, some temptation, some choice that's really hard to get out of and it's diminishing your life. Maybe it's through the expectations of others. Maybe it's through fears. Maybe it's through shame. What form does the slave master's sin take in your life right now? that's trying to keep your life down away from the fullness of the freedom of God in Jesus Christ. And now let me ask you, as you think about what form it is that sin wants to take and enslave in your life, what next step, what one next step toward freedom is the Spirit of God inviting you to take? If it is something like some kind of addiction, maybe God is inviting you to get some help with that, to understand, to believe that there is another life, that you can be free from that and to get along with somebody else who knows how to walk with you toward freedom. If it's some kind of enslaving pattern of sin, maybe God is inviting you to say no to that sin and yes to a better life one step today for the next 12 to 14 hours of this one day, one step. And then tomorrow, maybe it's the same step again. Every single day, one step. Maybe it's the expectations of other people, shame, fear, What's the step that God's take, inviting you to take into his freedom today? And then finally, let me just ask you, is God perhaps placing the slavery of another person on your heart today? Christians have always been freedom people. They have been at the front of abolition movements of all kinds throughout history. And there are ministries, Christian ministries today, addressing physical, literal slavery Maybe God's put that on your heart to be involved with that, to support that, to pray for that. Or maybe it's something much more immediate in your life. A friend who is bound up in something, enslaved by something, and you can't pick them up and carry them and walk their walk for them. But maybe you can come alongside and kind of get their arm over your shoulder. Or maybe they'll come alongside you and you can get your arms over each other's shoulders and kind of bear each other's weight up a little bit as we take steps together in freedom one step at a time, one step at a time. 
We've learned to practice swinging some of these clubs in past weeks. Because Jesus died, we are forgiven, and because he died, we are children of God. I'd like to invite you to practice saying this with me today. When I say because he died, you say, I am free. Because he died, I am free. That's right. That's our identity. God has set us free from the dark power of sin that wants to enslave us as individuals and enslave us as people. But rather instead, because he died, say it with me now, I am free. Maybe it's the power of addiction in your life. Maybe it's the power of a pattern of sin, something that's dragging you down and wants you not to have the life that God means for you. Let's say this to the power of sin. Because he died, I am free. And it's not just us as individuals, but it's us as a people. We walk together in freedom. Maybe it's the expectations of other people. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's shame. But God has set us together, set us, put us together and set us free to walk in his freedom. So let's say it as a we form this time. Because he died, we are free. I want to invite you, please, to practice swinging that club this week. I think one of the reasons we're so enslaved to sin is because we don't even know that we're enslaved to sin. We don't think that there's a different thing besides this. So we got to be reminded of this when we say that it's because he died that we are free. So if you did this weird thing for the last few weeks and you went to your car and you said it in your car, do it again today. I double dog dare you. Do it this week when you get up in the mornings, when you go to work. If it feels too weird, you can do it real quiet. If you're in your neighborhood, if you're at your house, wherever you are. But say, let's say we together right now. Because he died, we are free. That is the truth. And we need to remember that our God is the God who sets us free for life with him. And that is where freedom is found. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you thanks that you are the God who rescues your people from slavery physical slavery. You care, God. You hear the cry of your people and you create freedom. From all the things that bind us up, all the forms the power of sin takes in our lives, you come to set us free. And God, I pray that you would do your work in us. We can't end our own life spiritually and raise ourselves up to newness of life, but you can do it. God, I pray that you would put the old self to death and that you would raise us up with Christ to walk around in the newness of life. God, I pray by your spirit that you would strengthen our step that you would set us free and that you would give us the strength to struggle against sin, to strive for holiness, to grow in the image of your Son, our Lord Jesus. God, strengthen us to follow and set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.